Welcome, everyone, to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode nine of the 2021 podcast series, getting you ready for the NFL draft, which is set to begin in April 2021. Now that we're in November, we're just six months away. We can actually say that. It's really crazy. There's a lot that still needs to unfold before we get there. We obviously have a couple more months of the 2020 season, Um, all of the championship games will be played in December. Pac-12 will be actually hitting the field this weekend for the first time. We know the Big Ten and uh, the Mountain West, you know, they're into their second week here. Uh, And when you look at the MAC, they're back and they're playing on Wednesday. We'll be breaking down those games in next week's podcast. But everybody's back and uh, we know that the college football playoff will begin on January 1st, and then the second, and obviously the championship game, will be on January 11th. I would assume that after that, you're probably looking at January 18th for players to declare for the draft. And at that point, we'll really know what type of draft class we're dealing with. We'll be able to break down position by position and really start setting up our draft boards going on from there. Um, obviously, we'll have the combine, um, you know, and before that, we'll sprinkle in some of the all-star games as well, and we'll bring all of that coverage to you uh, and really take a look at these players, study them, and, and see what we're dealing with. So, week nine of the college football season in the books, Halloween night, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what: when you watched those games. What I want to do is kind of take a look at some guys that are flying under the radar a little bit, some guys that I think have really helped themselves with their draft stock, um, some surprises out there as well, uh, some guys that aren't getting quite the love that I'd love to see them get, and uh, maybe a couple of guys whose draft stock have taken a hit a little bit. Um, so without further ado, we have to jump into uh, you know Big Ten action, and you have to talk about Justin Fields, who's one of the Heisman frontrunners. You know, 20-21 passing last week against Nebraska, and the one in, in completion, he actually hit Chris Olave, who ultimately landed awkwardly, and uh, you know after he was undercut by the defensive back, that was the one in completion. What type of encore performance are we going to get from Justin Fields? Uh, well, I'll tell you, he went 28-34 for 318 yards and four touchdowns, and look, Justin Fields, we know the athleticism is there. He's always had the accuracy, but I'll tell you what, the arm strength is there. You know, he he's, he has a much stronger arm than he did a season ago. I'm not worried about him making those throws to the wide field, wide side of the field, making all of those NFL throws. Justin Fields can do it all. You know, he's 6'3", 228 pounds, very strong in the pocket, tough to bring down. Uh, although Antonio Shelton, the defensive tackle there for Penn State, brought him down, um, you know, with, with one arm and, and pulled him to the ground. But you know, Justin Fields, make no mistake. You know, he's a tremendous athlete, very strong in the pocket. And uh, I'll tell you, you know, the accuracy on, on the run was tremendous as well. You know, this was a guy who was hitting his receivers in stride down the field um, where only they can make a play on the football. And then the pocket presence, I thought, was spectacular. On his own 40-yard line, drops back. Shaka Tony, the uh, outstanding defensive end there for Penn State, Comes off the edge, beats the right tackle with a nice dip and rip move. And Justin Fields, no worries. Just a nice little sidestep. You know, just takes a shuffle there, a couple of steps. And then throws a dime 35 yards down the field to Garrett Wilson. Uh, You know, this is, you know, it's just... 
the, the precision passing what was ridiculous his ability to, like I said to throw his receivers open I, I'm a huge Justin Fields fan he's the guy I think has solidified himself as the number two quarterback in this draft behind Trevor Lawrence and uh, he should be the front runner for the Heisman Trophy I know Mac Jones has uh, something to say about that and uh, you know we'll go back to the Ohio State game here to break down some of the other guys I thought you know Chris Olave um, showed up really well uh, a couple of other guys there Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis kind of an up and down game for the two of them um, but when we talk about quarterback play as I mentioned Mac Jones Alabama 6'3 214 pounds this dude 79% completion percentage uh, among the top in the country in, in passing yards and touch uh, touchdowns as well he goes 24 31 for 291 yards and four touchdowns for Bama in a 41 to 0 route of Mississippi State and, and here's another guy who just the ball placement is absolutely ridiculous you know he's, he's got his receivers over the top on go routes he's hitting them in in stride just dropping it in the bucket over the shoulder away from the defensive back uh you know back shoulder throws he's putting them the ball on on his man you know, he's reading the defenses you know there's a cornerback blitz knows that he has a receiver one-on-one -on -one with the safety and he's going to take advantage of that every single time he knows that he's going to have his receivers that are running double moves. And when you got Devontae Smith out there on the perimeter, you're absolutely going to be going after Devontae Smith whenever uh, whenever you can. And when you lose Jalen Waddle, what happens? You know, you're still waiting for, for John Mechie and Slade uh, Bolden and company to step up. Well, when Devontae Smith is able to catch 11 passes for 204 yards and four touchdowns, you know, you, you really don't... You know, that's really your offense right there. You don't need to worry about who's going to replace Jalen Waddle when Devontae Smith says, hey, I'll, 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 I'll take that upon myself and uh, really carry that. So we'll we'll take a look more, like I said, at some of the position players there for uh, for Alabama. But sticking to the quarterback theme, I thought Phil Jerkovic had a nice first half, struggled in the second half. Uh, against Clemson, you know, kind of an up and down game, 6'5", 226 pounds, redshirt sophomore. I mean, he looks like Big Ben in the pocket, uh, big kid. Uh, you know, they, they put up 28 points against Clemson. Clemson down by 18 at one point in this game. Um, you know, obviously Clemson roars back to the 34-28 win. DJ Uyunglele having a great game in this uh, uh, against the Eagles, especially down the stretch. Uh, but Phil Jerkovic, you know, the, the arm strength is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, this is a guy who does a really good job, um, you know, going through his progressions and does a really good job too of, of you know, that pocket presence, extending the plays, sidestepping the rush with just some subtle moves, keeping those eyes down the field. And uh, you know, taking advantage of what the defense gives him, you know, the, the problems that he, he started running into was he was trying to force the football into tight windows, really trusting his arm a little bit too much. And one of the things that kind of drives me crazy about watching him on the move is that he wants to retreat all the time against pressure. And so he gets, you know, he'll, he'll bail out and he'll roll out. And when he's doing that, he's giving up so much ground and then relying on that arm, hoping that, hey, you know what, I can then throw the football you know, 30, 40 yards down the field to my receivers, but that, that's getting him into trouble. That'll get him into trouble for sure at the at the next level. And, and it's one of those things, you know, he's holding on to the ball a little bit too long, took a couple of sacks that he didn't need to. You know, there was a three-man rush down the stretch, and, you know, Brian Brissy, the, the fabulous freshman there, you know, the stud up front, you know, he gets the sack, 
and, and the safety to ultimately ice it for Clemson. But uh, you know, not only him, you know, Xavier Thomas getting into the backfield, KJ Henry, uh, Miles Murphy, a lot of guys putting pressure on Phil Dracovic, holding on to the ball a little bit too long at times. And uh, you know, this is a guy though, the pocket presence, you know, you, you do see that in terms of his ability to manipulate the pocket. Um, I think there are big things ahead for Phil Dracovic, but not yet. Not in this year's draft. I know a lot of people love this guy. You put him up against a team like Clemson, you want to see how he performs. And I thought that, you know, they, he needs another year of seasoning. Uh, Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati. Look, the Bearcats, Luke Fickle has him into the top 10, ranked number seven in the country, 49 to 10 winners over Memphis in Nippert Stadium. And Desmond Ritter, look, he's 6'4", 215 pounds, the, the junior, uh, 21 to 26, pretty efficient day, 274 yards, three touchdowns and an interception. This is a guy, I'll tell you, he has tremendous arm strength. That's one of the things that I'd say it's, it's just effortless. Had a 43-yard touchdown to his, his big play receiver, Alec Pierce, the 6'3", 213-pound junior, uh, who ultimately had to come out of the game due to a shoulder injury. But, uh, you know, 43-yard pass, drops the ball, uh, you know, right as, as Pierce was releasing up the seam, put the ball up, able to high point the football for, for that, uh, that touchdown. Um, you know, this is a guy who... Uh, is also a tremendous runner, able to pull the football and take off and run. Um, 10 carries, just 41 yards, two touchdowns. You know, a, a week ago against SMU, fifth game, you know, in his career, over 100 yards on the ground. Uh, he's a guy who I think, you know, he, he should come back to, to Cincinnati for one more year. But what you really love about Desmond Ritter is he just seems to continue to get better. And uh, you see the arm strength. You just want to make it, you know, polish the game up a little bit, make sure that he's making the right reads, make sure that, uh, um, you know, the, the precision and the accuracy is there and, uh, you know, that he's doing it on a consistent basis. Um, but I think he's somebody to watch definitely uh, in next year's draft. Um, you know, that, that will make the most sense for me right now for, for Desmond Ritter. Um, but like I said, quarterback position, those weren't the only players that were, were balling out on uh, uh, you know, week nine of the, of the college football season. Um, well, before we, we, we get to the other players, let's talk about Zach Wilson, shall we? I mean, I love Zach Wilson from BYU, my favorite quarterback in this draft, 6'3", 210 pounds. The junior, look, he came into, into the game on Saturday against Western Kentucky, 78.3% completion percentage, which is fifth in the FBS, over 1,900 yards passing, 16 touchdowns. Uh, you know, tremendous athlete. BYU wins 41 to 10, and uh, you know Zach Wilson, you know not the most efficient day for for him. 18 to 32 for just 224 yards, three touchdowns. Did throw a pick. Uh, you know had a receiver on an outbreaking route to the wide side of the field, and the corner was able to step in front and make a play on the football. Um, but you know before that, if you were watching the beginning of this game, it was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, you know play action. You know he, uh, sets his feet, fires a strike on a line to his receiver to the outside uh, you know fourth and one you know roll out uh, gets to the edge and uh, able to end up picking up three yards on that and then from there throw to the wide side to, to Neil Pow uh, Pow um, ultimately able to go ahead and elevate and, and haul in that football then there's a this 39 yard throw to, to Gunnar Romney his, his go-to receiver up the sideline Roger Cray the, the corner 
So he was looking back, looking and leaning, and has that inside position. But the ball placement, a good ball placement, is always going to beat that, that that perfect coverage and put the ball right out in front of the receiver. All Gunnar Romney had to do was stick his arms out, and that's ultimately where that ball landed, right in his hands. There, there was nothing that Roger Cray could do on that play. Uh, you know, rolling out, there was a crossing route, hit Dax, uh, Dax Milne, uh, linebacker was underneath and uh, had the safety coming downhill as well, but put the ball on the money and uh, made sure that uh, the receiver was able to haul in that pass. Uh, you know, this is just a guy, you know, just on it. You know, Zach Milne, I'm sorry, Dax Milne also up the seam on a 23-yard touchdown. He waited for Milne to, to clear the, the defensive back. He wanted to hit him in the first window, um, but ultimately, you know, as Milne continued to come across, got him on that second window, and he led his receiver, didn't have to break stride. Ultimately, 23-yard touchdown there. There was a 54-yard touchdown. I mean, this, you know, he just uncorks his throw and, uh, you know, ends up hitting his receiver in stride, um, outrunning them to the, to the end zone. Um, look, you know, the, the thing with Zach Wilson, you know, he, he threw, threw another pass that was over 60 yards in the air, just off the, off the, the fingertips of Dax Milne, diving attempt there at the goal line. Um, but again, he, he cut loose with the football at the 35 yard line and the ball landed probably around the two. So, you know, a guy, when people talk about his arm strength, he can throw the football to the wide side of the field. He can throw the football down the field. And the thing with it is, is he's, he's accurate. You know, it's not just a guy like Kyle Bowler who had tremendous arm strength, but wasn't accurate to save his life. You know, Zach Wilson knows where he wants to go with the football. He's supremely confident. And I think he's a guy, the athleticism, his ability to manipulate the pocket, um, you know, his ability to, to step up and then slide looks a lot like Aaron Rodgers in the pocket, you know, with Aaron's ability to feel the rush, able to step up, slide, you know, buy a little bit of time and then find that open man. And then when he's on the run, being able to, you know, to, to get those hips around and really fire a strike to his receiver. Zach Wilson, if you haven't gotten to see him play, you got to tune in and watch. He's a lot of fun to watch. So now we'll go ahead and get to a lot of the other position players and, and who we got to watch. So I mentioned Devontae Smith. You know, he, he's 6'1", 175, so precise with his route running. You know, he's one of those guys, he runs these out and ups uh, in Steve Sarkeesian's offense, and he doesn't really slow down. He doesn't need to because, you know, he's so precise, so crisp with the route running and uh, ultimately ends up running by the corner. When you think of Alabama receivers, you don't think of Devontae Smith as the fastest. You always thought of that being Henry Ruggs or Jalen Waddle. You didn't think about him being the best route runner. That always went to Jerry Judy. But with Devontae Smith, he's just so smooth and he does a little bit of everything. That's the thing, you know, his calling card is, is he's he's all reliable. He's the guy that uh, Mac Jones, Tuatango Bailoa, uh, Jalen Hurts, whoever was under center for the for the Crimson Tide, they were looking to number six. And, and to me, I think, you know, when you look at at uh, this year's draft class, you know, I, I think you've got Jamar uh, Chase, who could end up being a top 10 pick. I think Jalen Waddle is going to be right around the top 10. And I think, uh, you know, Devontae Smith is a guy that's going to end up, you know, probably being in the top 15 of the draft. I think when you look at the at this receiving core or this receiving class, especially with the way that last year's receiving class has played, 
Um, you know, you don't necessarily need to get a receiver in round number one, so I think you're not going to see quite as many receivers go, come off the board in round one like we're expecting. I think there is a lot of depth, though, and it's going to start with guys like Devontae Smith. Um, you know, again, over 200 yards through the air, um, and he's one of those guys that, um, you know, like I said, the subtlety with the route running, the, the body control along the sideline, his ability to make sure that he stays in bounds. He's a lot of fun to watch. He's explosive. He's a playmaker. He's very dynamic. And uh, whoever ends up with him, he's going to end up being your number one uh, you know, favorite target to throw the football to. Um, I think he can definitely be a number one. You know, and, uh, you know, if he needed to be a number two, he's shown that he can be a complimentary piece as well. So I think the versatility there uh, is off the charts for Devontae Smith. Now, he's not the only receiver, like I said. You know, Chris Olave, 6'1", 188 pounds. Another smooth, smooth receiver, man. Seven receptions, 120 yards, and two touchdowns on the day in this game. Another guy who has tremendous body control. You know, his ability to make sure that he, he keeps his body, keeps his feet in bounds. Uh, the ability to adjust to the football, especially the back shoulder throws, um, I, I think are tremendous. Um, and then the strength, you know, his ability to run through a couple of, of defensive back tackles, um, you know, and, and pick up some extra yards. And, uh, you know, also understands where the soft spots in the zone are, sitting down, uh, giving, a, you know, a nice target there for Justin Fields to, to hit him. I think Olave has a chance to be a late one, early two, um, when it's all said and done, but uh, I'm a big fan of, of Chris Olave's. You know, like I said, very smooth receiver, uh, much like Devontae Smith. Um, then you look at a guy like Tylen Wallace, very physical receiver, 5'11", 187 pounds. This is a guy who loves contact. You can sit there and, and bully him if you want. You can try to push him around, but he loves that contact. He's going to eat it up, and then he's going to beat you because you're going to try to, to jam him. You're going to try to be physical with him as you're going up to, to haul in a pass. But Tylen Wallace, man, he's going to, to go up and, and out outplay you, outwork you for that football uh, time and time again. And uh, the former Bolitnikoff Award finalist, well on his way to potentially challenging for that again. 11 catches, 187 yards, two touchdowns. I don't think he's quite uh, on the level of, of some of the receivers that we've seen come off the board in round number one. I think he's going to be a, a, a day two pick, probably come off the board early in, set, in the second round. But uh, a guy who could end up being a steal, I think he'll be very productive early on in his, in his career at the next level. Um, you know, We've been talking about receivers, but I really want to talk about Joseph Osai on the defensive side of the football. If you didn't get to watch that Oklahoma State-Texas thriller uh, where the Longhorns beat the Cowboys 41-34 in overtime, um, you got to tune in and watch that game. Jo Joseph Osai was a man possessed. 12 tackles, 3 sacks, uh, 6 total tackles for loss, a couple of forced fumbles, 46 was literally everywhere. This was a guy who was I mean, he was collapsing down on the run, off the edge. Uh, the backside pursuit was ridiculous. This guy's motor is always running, uh, you know, and there's always gas in the in the gas tank, so he's never taking a play off. Um, 
you know, his ability to, you know, I, I talked early on in the pod, in my podcast series about how he didn't look all that explosive at the beginning of the season. Maybe it was because they didn't have the training camp or what have you, but he is definitely in midseason form now. Um, the ability to fire quickly off the ball and then, you know, he's attacking that outside shoulder of the offensive tackle and using those hands, uses the hands to swipe um, whether it's with a, a nice uh, club or, uh, you know, like I said, even a two-hand swipe uh, of the hands, ripping through or giving a nice arm over. And then when he flattens out, he bends around that curve. The flexibility is ridiculous with him. Gets to that edge and flattens out in a hurry. And then it's all about that, that explosiveness, exploding to the quarterback and pressuring him. Uh, again, that nonstop motor, always working. Um, you know, starts to starts outside. He'll cross the face of the left left tackle to get inside, and uh, you know he's got these arms that kind of flail a little bit as he's running. You know, so they're they're high, they're wide, and he makes it really difficult for the quarterback to see down the field. Um, he, he was a you know he was definitely a man possessed. You know, on that fourth down play in overtime in the red zone, Spencer Sanders, uh, you know, ultimately gets sacked to end the game and this was a guy he was set up in a wide nine technique because he was struggling um, you know to, to make any plays against Tevin Jenkins the only time that he really made an impact lining up over off the right, right tackle was when Tevin Jen- Jenkins was blocking down he made most of his success you know coming off off the the left tackle position uh, you know Jake Springfield ended up getting injured they had to move the the left guard Josh Sills out there to, to left tackle and uh, you could definitely tell that there was a difference there um, in terms of the athleticism to handle the speed rush of Osai but in that last game that last play there was a tight end that was lined up next to next to Jenkins and he's set up in the wide nine and as he's coming off the edge you know that angle you know it was all about angles for him he was able to take a, a wider angle and you could tell that you know Tevin Jenkins look he fires out of his stance and he's he actually beats him out and he's got him lined up and square but because of Osai's explosiveness and that angle you know, all Tevin Jenkins really was able to do was kind of try to push him up the field. And look, that didn't slow Osai down. He kept coming and ultimately dropped Spencer Sanders for the sack to win the game. Uh, but I bring up that that uh, one-on-one matchup because Tevin Jenkins more than held his own against Joseph Osai, who's quickly becoming a top 20, top 25 pick. And Tevin Jenkins is that offensive tackle that nobody's talking about. I mean, I, it seems like Everyone has their guy that they want, you know, that they're bringing to the table. Um, I, I think Panay Sewell is your number one. You know, the people are talking about Samuel Cosme. We'll talk about him here in a second. But uh, I, I think, you know, that number two offensive tackle um, spot is, is still up for grabs. I think Alex Leatherwood has definitely shown that he can be a left tackle uh, at the next level. I thought that, you know, he showed some nice quickness in, in the game. Uh, against Mississippi State, um, good feet. Uh, the hands can be a little inconsistent at times, but uh, definitely in the running game, you know, you're blocking down, driving Kobe Jones. Um, you know, really did a re- an excellent job beating his man out of the stance, squaring him up, and then ultimately driving him away from from the pocket uh, in, in pass protection. Um, He's somebody to me that, you know, 
you saw him with the run game. You thought he was going to be a guard. I have to transition him to the tackle. I think he's very much in play as a first-round offensive tackle. You know, you have Dylan Radin, the technician there for North Dakota State. A lot of people are talking about Spencer Brown, the 6'9", 321-pounder out of Northern Iowa as a potential first-rounder. And I'm not saying that I'm not considering him because I am. He's this year's Makai Becton, in my opinion. I mean, you know, he's not quite as, as big as, as Makai, but they're both 6'9", both very heavy-handed, and both just nasty, throwing guys all over the place. That's really, when I watched him play, that's who he reminded me of because of the size and his ability just to throw guys around the yard. But I, I think Liam Eikenberg has shown better athleticism this year um, and, and his ability, you know, I think the technique, his ability to keep the pad level down. But then Tevin Jenkins is right there. Now, this is a, a guy, 6'6", 320 pounds, over 30 starts. And you watch him, you know, against Osai, the hand fighting with the defensive end. You know, whenever Osai would slap the hands down, the hands would come right back up. And here was the thing, you know, what was... What was so impressive with it was as Osai was coming off the edge, you'd have his left hand would get underneath that armpit. And so what he was doing was he was attacking that right right hand and he'd slap that right hand down. But what Tevin Jenkins was good about was that left hand he kept inside. And then as soon as that hand got slapped away, that right hand would come right back up. And he was able to lock onto him again, but it was that left hand that was really able to control Joseph Osai, and that hand was going underneath the armpit because he was really attacking half a man when he's attacking that outside shoulder. Tevin Jenkins just going right underneath that pad level and was able to ultimately control Joseph Osai, showed some nice lateral agility, you know, able to mirror. Um, I, I thought he also showed some nice power in the running game as well. To me, Tevin Jenkins, ascending prospect, is he going to be a first-round pick? You know, he'll probably be a day-two guy because there are quite a few tackles in this year's draft class that that could be in that consideration. But we need to be talking about Tevin Jenkins more often. You know, and he's a guy to me. I've become a, a big fan of his, and, and I enjoy watching his film week in and week out. And I mentioned a guy, you know, who you know I thought the draft stock took a little bit of a hit at times, and that was Wyatt Davis there out of uh, out of Ohio State. You know, six four, two hundred fifteen or three hundred fifteen pounds. When his pad level stays low, he is a force, and you know he has, you know, he, he's a knee bender. You know, plays with you know can play with excellent leverage when he does that the hands stay inside he's able to control his man very powerful and very athletic um, but against Antonio Shelton the big powerhouse uh, uh, defensive tackle ultimately he gets stood up against you know against him and was drove it, just driven back into the backfield and uh, you know that's one of the things that you definitely saw was what was Davis would get a little overextended at times as well, uh, going up against Antonio Shelton. Um, you know, he, he was using his hands very well to attack Wy uh, Wyatt Davis, and uh, you know that was the thing. You know, if you get overextended, if you're getting too far over your toes, you start leaning, and it's not able. You're you're not able to hold that. You know, you've got to keep that base wide. You've got to keep that knee bending and keep you know keep that base. And I thought that there were times where Wyatt Davis really lost that. The traits, yes, you can't just knock one game and say, look, you know, yes, he's going up against a guy who's really, really strong and nobody's talking about him. He could be one of those day three guys um, or an undrafted free agent, uh, and, you know, Antonio Shelton. You know, that power 
You know, he has tremendous power in his hands, has some nice short area quickness as well for a guy 6'2", uh, 315 pounds. So if you tune in and watch Penn State, number 55 in the middle is the guy to watch for them up front. Um, you know, the other guy for Ohio State that I mentioned struggled a little bit at times was Sean Wade. You know, 6'1", 195-pound junior, and, you know, he's, he's their lockdown corner, but I'll tell you what, Jahan Davis, I'm sorry, Jahan Dotson just absolutely ate him up at times. You know, and it was decent coverage, you know, but but Dotson, you know, beats him, beats him deep up the sideline and uh, ultimately elevates over him and extends his left arm, uh, left hand, and ultimately brings the football into his body with, with one hand. And, you know, ultimately all the receiver had was a step, nice, nicely placed ball out in front of him and ultimately beat him in the very next play. He had Dotson on the sideline, and again, he's in phase, he's right there, and what does Dotson do? He ends up extending his right hand, catches the nose of the football, and ultimately, as he's going to elevate, Wade, you know, there's a little bit of contact there before he goes to elevate, Wade loses his balance, and Dotson goes in to score. And uh, so I, I think with Sean Wade, when you've got so many corners right now that are having dominant performances from uh, you know Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell at Georgia to J.C. Horn for South Carolina to you know Patrick Sertan out of Alabama, they're putting consistent tape together week in and week out. This is game two for Sean Wade. And obviously, you know, he has you know, only a second opportunity to be out on the field. Let's see how he continues to progress. But it is one of those things that is a little alarming to where, you know, these receivers, even though he is in position, they're still making plays on the football. So you have to ask yourself, you know, is it really the, the quarterback play? What What is going on there? Because these are plays, you know, that you didn't see before against Sean Wade. Um, you know, and like I said, Jahan Dotson, 5'11", 182 pounds, the junior, um, you know, very explosive. Eight, eight catches, 144 yards, three touchdowns. He was the guy who was kind of picking on Sean Wade a little bit. Um, so uh, he's a receiver to watch out for in, uh, in next year's draft. And if we stay with Ohio State on the defensive side of the football, I want to talk about Baron Browning if I could. 6'3", 240 pounds. This is a guy who was showing that he could rush the passer, coming off the edge and uh, able to bend and, and get to the quarterback. But this was also a guy that was covering Pat Fryermuth out on the edge. And uh, Fryermuth did slip down on his, on his cut, but uh, ultimately a fade pass. And you know, Baron Browning able to go up and defend the pass and basically just looked like a basketball player with the nice stuff, you know, stuffing that ball straight down. Um, very athletic play there. Um, you know, another guy though, um, you know, he, he starts his, his blitz uh, or starts to show blitz at the snap. He drops, gets into coverage, and uh, ultimately intercepts this, this crossing pass, forces the quarterback to run, ends up running into a sack there. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing with, with it was, you know, Baron Browning showed, you know, hey, I, I can hang with Fryermuth on the crossing routes. A nice precision pass out in front of him ultimately got beat. But Baron Browning, the athleticism, his ability to rush the passer, he played the run really well, and then being able to drop into coverage. Versatility to be a three-down linebacker. And then Pete Werner, you know, he's 6'3", 242, but another guy who has tremendous athleticism out there. And uh, you know he's lined up over, over Pat Fryermuth on the outside as well. Uh, so two linebackers who have that athleticism to play against the pass. So they're, they're guys that aren't going to come off the field. Uh, when it's all said and done either. 
you know, Jason Owe, uh, the 6'3", 252-pound redshirt sophomore. You're waiting for him to really have a breakout game. Um, you know, he, he's been close. You know, there was a play where you know he, he had a stunt, looped around, and ultimately pressured uh, Justin Fields from the pocket. Um, uses his hands really well to, to kind of toss the left tackle aside and then ultimately forced uh, the running back, Trey Sermon, wide uh, towards the sideline. So he's he still showing the ability you know, with his hands, showing some, uh, you know, some explosiveness. He just hasn't gotten home yet. So you're hoping that uh, number 28 for, uh, for Penn State can really get things going um, there for, for the Nittany Lions. You know, if you go back to the Alabama game, and uh, you know Najee Harris, you know showcased his running between the tackles, his ability to get outside as well and bounce things to the outside, make plays in space, um, his ability to catch the football as a as a passer, I'm sorry, as a receiver in the passing game, but then also his ability to draw uh, to pick up blitzes in the running game, I'm sorry, in the in the passing game. His ability to step up, pick up that, that blitzing linebacker, and give Mac Brown time to push the football down the field. You, know, you saw that time and time again. His ability, you know, to, to handle all three phases, it's making him more and more. You know, I, I think Najee Harris may be the most complete back, and it's really for that pass blocking. Travis Etienne still struggling with the pass blocking. He's explosive. You know, he's a lot stronger than he used to be. The speed on the outside, his ability to run through contact the contact balance is, is tremendous with travis Etienne, um, and then the receiving prowess you, know, you saw that with uh, dj uyangalele but i think Najee harris the the most complete back in the draft and probably a number one back right now um, if i had to guess uh, who's going to be selected first in the draft you know, I, I will put my money on Najee harris look you know, Josh Jacobs, he was the only running back taken in the first round to the Raiders. And, uh, you know, I, I could definitely see that happening again for, for Najee Harris. Now, when I mentioned, you know, Clemson, I, I said last week in my podcast, I said that Clemson is going to utilize Travis Etienne more often in the passing game. You know, and, and what do they do? Seven catches, 140 yards, and a touchdown there for Travis Etienne. You know, his ability to run uh, run the wheel route, you know, it showed exceptional hands. His ability, you know, running up the sideline, tracking the football well, catching the ball with his hands, um, catching the football in stride and making plays after the catch. Look, you know, Etienne became the ACC all-time leading rusher in this game. And uh, you know, just a guy who just seems to be at full speed within just a step or two of, of receiving the football. Um, dynamic runner, um, 20 carries, just 84 yards and a touchdown on the day. But uh, you know, 42 games with a touchdown. Now that's an FBS record. Uh, this is a guy who is just an absolute beast. Um, very explosive, 5'10", 205. Is he going to be a first rounder? He may sneak into round number one. Could end up being, uh, you know, uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who was the number only running back taken in round number one a season ago. Um, and really, Edwards-Alaire, you know, may not have been the the top running back, you know, that was rated uh, coming out of the draft, but he was the best fit for the Chiefs' offense, and we've definitely seen that to this point. So there, there could be a team that's looking at Travis Etienne saying, you know what, he'd be a, a nice fit to our, our program because of his, his athleticism 
and uh, you know the, the all-out speed, and we could utilize him in the passing game as well as the running game. But look, like I said, Najee Harris can also run with speed. He can run with power. I think Najee Harris is going to end up being a first-round pick when it's all said and done. Uh, you know, like I, I mentioned, you know, jo jo Josh Jacobs and what he did in the 2019 draft, being the only running back taken in that draft. I can see that same thing for uh, his Bama counterpart here with uh, with Najee Harris. Um, so definitely some guys to, to keep an eye on there. Um, as I continue to look through my notes and some of the, the other guys that uh, we have to talk about, um, you know, I, I need to make sure that, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I'll give you some guys that'll fly under the radar uh, you know, as, as potential, you know, undrafted free agents. Georgia Southern took on South Alabama and won 24-17. Wesley Kennedy III, a guy who was a dynamic kick and punt returner, uh, 13 carries, 91 yards, and a couple of touchdowns. Shy Words, the quarterback, also 91 yards on the ground. I think Shy Words could be one of those guys who could be a running back, be a receiver, um, be one of those guys that, uh, you know, not known as a, a playmaker, but you know, could be that Antoine Randall, that Julian Edelman type, and actually see see his way onto the field. Wesley Kennedy, his ability to you know his prowess to be a dynamic kick returner, you know, in this game uh, against South Alabama, he was the guy who you know just showed that speed getting down the field. You know, gets north and south in a hurry, quick acceleration, no real waste of movement. He wants to get downhill, and then uh, Carlos Davis. He's only a sophomore for South Alabama, but he's going to be a guy to keep an eye on as well. Very physical between the con between the tackles, contact balance, forward lean there. You know, I thought that he was a guy that was impressive in that game. Um, you know, when I look at Michigan, uh, you know, Quiddy Pay, um, you know, went down to an injury, but uh, Aiden Hutchinson is still a beast. You know, this is a guy. I mean, he, he uses his hands so well. He uses the club. He uses the rip. Uses a nice arm over as well. Um, for a guy who's 6'6", 270 pounds, has tremendous length, he can bend really well uh, as well. He, he loves to attack the hands of the of the tackle and then is able to flip his hips and, and turn the corner. He's already parallel to the line of scrimmage as he's as he's confronting and, and really taking on that, that, that offensive tackle. Then he's using those hands to, to get that edge. And then as he's flattening out, he has a nice burst, a short area burst to get to the quarterback. Um, to me, Aiden Hutchinson's a guy that's going to be continuing to move up draft boards and uh, will be a nice day two pick for somebody should he decide to come out and enter the draft. Uh, Jalen Mayfield hasn't actually come out and said that yes, he is going to be a, um, you know, he is going to enter the draft. He's only a redshirt sophomore, but he was a guy that opted out and ultimately, you know, came back. Um, you know, but if this is his last season, you know, he's another offensive tackle who has a chance to be a, a first-round selection. 6'5", 320 pounds. Um, we always knew that he was he was powerful and that he had the you know the, the strength to drive guys back off the ball in the running game. But he's shown that he can uh, you know show, showcase some more athleticism there as a, as a pass rusher. So I, I think Jalen Mayfield has entered himself at least, if nothing else, into that conversation. Talking about the the top offensive tackle. Um, behind Panay Sewell, I should preface that. Um, but when we look at, at a guy like Samuel Cosme, um, you know, he's 6'7", 
the 309 um, you know I mentioned previously that the footwork can be inconsistent at times his hands can be inconsistent at times um, but when he's on you know he can definitely you know really good feet choppy steps in his kick slide um, locks up that, that defensive end and, and will just shove him back showing that tremendous strength but he can also mirror that that uh, defensive end in front of him in the passing game as well um, you know I think one of the things that you definitely see is he can be very comfortable there in in his his kick slide and uh, he'll sit down he'll anchor he'll get that butt down low you know he's six seven so you worry about pad level but you don't really have to worry about it with him because you know Cosme looks more like a basketball player out there with his stance and uh, you know I, I think one of the things that you see with with Cosme is you know he may not be that that tackle that's going to be very you know effortless uh, play in and play out keeping the guy away from the pocket completely but what he does a great job of is when that 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 defender much like Tevin Jenkins when he's attacking that, that outside shoulder and he, all he has is a half a man he's taking his man he's getting his hands inside and then he's either driving him away from the pocket or he's taking him up the field so that there's no way that they're even getting anywhere near the quarterback I think Cosme is uh, is definitely there as the number two offensive tackle at this point, but there are a lot of guys that are out there that are really going to be pushing him, and you want to see how he performs the rest of the season. And then obviously, as we get into some of the workouts, really be able to test what what his offense, you know, what his uh, athleticism looks like. Uh, Chuba Hubbard, six foot, two oh eight, um, you know, the, the the junior Doak Walker Award finalist a season ago. You know, absolutely showcasing that he can make the first man miss in the backfield. A uh, little bit of a wiggle and a head fake to, to get the safety off balance. Um, you know, show that he can he can catch the football a little bit over, you know uh, out of the backfield, but not really used as a a receiver um, for the most part. You know, did have four catches for 34 yards and a touchdown in this game, uh, and just 72 yards on, on 23 carries. Um, you know, and Chuba Hubbard, look, he's running behind a line that's replacing a lot of guys, and then there's also some injuries. Um, but one of the things that concerns me with Chuba Hubbard is can he create on his own? Um, you know, you see some of the running backs that uh, they're able to create. You know, they're able to create in the open space. You know, all they need is a crease, and you don't always see that with Chuba Hubbard. You know, when he when he gets the bulk of his yards, it's because there's a wide open gap that he's running through. And uh, he used that, uses that sprinter speed to, to take off. You know, I, I think there is some contact balance, but you want to see him be a little bit stronger between the tackles as well. Um, so I, I think Chuba Hubbard, you know, he's, he's one of those backs that um, is going to be polarizing. I think some people love him. Some people you know, just aren't. And, and for me, I'm kind of in between. He's somebody who I think is still one of the better running backs in this draft, can end up being the number three running back taken. But uh, there's still a lot of things that I think he needs to work on. Um, LSU game, I thought you know, Seth Williams had a much better game. Uh, 6'3", 211 pounds, the big physical receiver. Man, he's got to weigh a lot more than 211 pounds. Um, but this is a guy who you know, I, I worry. I still worry about him being the next J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. You know, Arcega-Whiteside was a guy who was you know, the mismatch nightmare, uh, a guy that was able to be physical, a guy that could get down the field, be you know, the, the size mismatch, high-pointing footballs, but uh, can't separate to save his life at the next level. And I wonder if, if Seth Williams is going to be able to do that. You know, a lot of his, uh, his plays, even in this game, you know, he was open, and then he'd make the catch, and then you know, he was difficult to bring down. 
but uh, you know it's a different thing, different ball game if you've got a, a defender in your back pocket. And he struggled to separate from from Tyler, uh, from, I'm sorry, from uh, Tyson Campbell when he played Georgia. J.C. Horn had a field day against him as well. Yes, he's going to have you know a couple of plays here and there against those guys, but for the most part, you know, he got eaten up. And uh, you know he had a couple of nice plays against Derek, uh, you know Derek Stingley, but uh, you know I think Stingley for the most part you know uh, held his own there with Seth Williams and uh, you know Williams on the day finishing with four catches for 71 yards. You know, the, the quarterback position was a disaster, you know, with Miles Brennan out. G.J. Finley, Max Johnson, the two freshmen, uh, struggled mightily with the football. But you still got to see a little bit out of Terrace Marshall, the 6'3", 200-pound junior. Um, the route running is really what you see there. You know, he was slow playing, uh, you know, the, the route in the slot. Um, kind of hesitates and then really a quick snap to the outside um, you know on the defensive back to make a catch for for 10 yards um, like I said you know he's, he's always been a guy who, who showcases speed vertically and uh, I think what he's doing now is, is uh, that route running ability is really what's turning a lot of people's heads um, you know I can say that uh, with, with some pretty pretty good confidence that that you know, that's really what's jumping out for people. Um, you know, Pat, Patty Fisher, look, Nord, uh, Northwestern, 2-0, 21-20 winners over Iowa. Patty Fisher, 6'3", 240 pounds. I still remember after his sophomore season, there were mock drafts that were out there that had him as a, a first-round pick. Now, you know, that's really not going to be there. You know, the question is going to be, you know, where is he going to play? Because he does have good size, but is, you know, is he fast enough to be a linebacker um, on the inside, is he somebody that's ultimately they're going to kick out and be a you know an outside linebacker, or are they going to bulk him up a little bit and allow him to be a defensive end? Look, Porter Gustin out of USC was very stiff-hipped as a as a an offensive, I'm sorry, as an outside linebacker, and, and ultimately uh, was not drafted. Was a an undrafted free agent going to the Saints, and then ultimately got cut. Signs with the Browns and uh, ends up playing, you know, for the Browns yesterday or for last year. Comes in this year and and uh, you know he, he's playing well, you know, as a, as a defensive lineman, as a defensive end. You know, showed a nice arm over on a goal line play and able to stuff it um, there for for the Browns. I, I look at Patty Fisher and and you wonder if does he have that athleticism? Are they going to potentially make him be a, a linebacker? I'm sorry, a defensive end. You could definitely see that, but uh, you know, let's let's still give Patty Fisher a chance because you know the the instincts dropping into coverage. You know, he's playing in the zone, comes downhill in a hurry uh, to get the tight end that's you know playing in front of him. Um, you know, you, you see him making the drops, um, getting into coverage, getting into the passing lanes, reading the quarterback's eyes, and allowing him to take him to the football. Um, you know, made a nice play backside on his own, I'm sorry, on his outside zone play. Um, ultimately, was forced back right into him, made the, the nice open field tackle. Um, you know, and some of his tackles, I think, were down the field too. Um, you know, not necessarily around the line of scrimmage. So you wonder about some of the lateral uh, lateral quickness with Patty Fisher. He can definitely drop, and he can definitely 
you know, come forward and a lot of plays that are in front of him, he's making those plays left and right. When he has to actually sit there and make some of those, those change of direction and, and get laterally, or get lateral, that's where Patty Fisher can, can get into trouble at times, which is why you know, defensive end may not be a, a, a bad alternative for him. Um, Alaric Jackson, um, the 6'6", 315-pound uh, senior there for Iowa. Um, you know, he, he gets hurt. He was having a nice year, kind of a bounce-back year in, uh, in 2019. Gets hurt. Uh, Tristan Wirfs kicks over to the left tackle to, to play for him a little bit. And I just think he's been a step slow ever since. You know, he's one of those guys that you know, he was getting driven back at times uh, in the game against North, uh, Northwestern. Um, pad level would creep up and get a little bit high at times as well. Um, got walked back into the quarterback a couple of times. Um, but in the running game, you definitely saw him firing off the line and uh, into his man and driving guys down the field. So when I look at, at Alaric Jackson, could he be a right tackle? Could he be a, potentially a guard? Sure. Is he a left tackle? You know, I, I just I don't know that he has the lateral quickness, the lateral foot, you know, the foot speed to really be able to do that. Uh, but in that game, there, there's a guy, who, you know, there's a name that you need to know. It's Davion Nixon. And this guy, 6'3", 305, number 54, 11 tackles, one and a half sacks, three tackles for loss, and a forced fumble there against the Wildcats. And this is a guy who was so quick off the football. The uh, Iowa Western uh, City College transfer, so explosive with that first step, shooting double teams, um, nice speed to power to really drive guys back into the backfield as well. I've been super impressed with, with the, the speed, his ability to get skinny off the line, shoot those gaps, and uh, you know, like I said, that, that burst to close on, on, on the quarterback. Um, I, I think Davion Nixon, you know, he plays much, you know, I, I heard Dan Orlovsky on the broadcast say that he plays much smaller than the 6'3", 305. I would definitely agree with that. And he's one of those ascending prospects, a guy that people didn't really know about until this year because you know, he, he went through the JUCO ranks, but a guy who's definitely making some noise. And uh, you know, I think he's primed for a huge year this year. Could he potentially enter, be a splash player and enter the draft? Sure, anything's possible. But I, I think he's somebody that we could be talking about for uh, you know, being a force for that uh, 2022 draft. So a name to definitely watch out for in Big Ten play. So I think those were some of the guys that I really keyed in on and wanted to watch. Uh, some of the guys, like I said, that were flying under the radar. I want to see if there's anybody else as they go through this. Roger McCreary, uh, not really a guy flying under the radar there for Auburn, but really a you know, physical corner, a guy that you know teams are starting to kind of throw away from. Um, definitely a solid outing again there against LSU. Or Darius Williams, um, another guy there for Oklahoma State. You know, Sam Ellinger just did not want to put the ball anywhere near this guy. Very physical, you know, a guy that's going to um, you know, try to force you to the sideline. Um, you know, the biggest thing that, that he needs to watch out is you know, getting that head around and, and locating the football. A lot of times he'll be face guarding, not really knowing where the football is. Need, when he gets his head around and locates the football, he's one of the better corners you know, with, with the ball skills, but you just don't see it on a consistent basis out of him. But I still think that you know, what he's been able to do as a lockdown corner for Oklahoma State has been tremendous. Um, let's see, who else do I have here that I can talk about? 
as I scroll through everything. Christian Barmore for me is the you know is potentially that number one defensive tackle in this draft class just because of the athleticism, the power. Um, you know, I, I think he's a guy who you know the the potential is starting to match the production. Unlike Marvin Wilson, who you know the the production just it's not matching, and, and that motor not you know always running hot. You know that's that's really kind of getting starting to get a little irritating when you watch Marvin Wilson play. Uh, you know Christian Barmore though, this is a guy who brings it each and every play when he's in the game. He and Fedarian uh, Mathis, Phil Mathis, is a guy who you know, he's another guy that uses those long arms, gets into the passing lane, um, and knocks some passes down. Had a couple uh, a couple of pass breakups and a sack uh, there against Mississippi State. Uh, KJ Costello. Um, he was just four of 11 for 16 yards before getting injured. But uh, you know, Costello, it would behoove him to come back for one more year. Um, he's he struggled mightily. Um, you know, the, the double-digit interceptions, leading the country in interceptions. And when you watch him play, you know, it's one of those things. Is he even seeing the field? I think you know, against man coverage, he didn't really have to think about you know some of the zone concepts. I think that's really where. His game is suffering right now, um, so you know, that's a guy that you know, I, I think really needs to come back because um, he's really you know, fallen down in the uh, rankings and kind of where he's going to fall for for the draft. Uh, Oklahoma, Ronnie Perkins is back. Um, he's a guy that you really want to continue to watch and see how he plays. But Isaiah Thomas is the defensive end there for Oklahoma that you really have to keep keep an eye on and, and talk about. Um, you know, he's only a junior. He'll be back next year. But I think he can be a guy that, that can get constant pressure on the quarterback. Uh, D'Angelo Malone, um, you know, I kind of fell asleep at, you know, watching, you know, Western Kentucky's defense against BYU um, because I wanted to see number 10 and he really struggled to make an impact. You know, he, he was non-existent and a lot of that, you know, the credit has to go to number 67, the left tackle, Brady Christensen. He was the guy who you know, was playing with excellent leverage. You, know, you saw good quickness coming out of his stance and then when he locked on to D'Angelo Malone, you know, he really struggled to get off blocks. And so, you know, I, I think Christensen absolutely helped himself, um, you know, should he decide to enter the draft. I think he'll probably be someone that will come back for one more year, um, but he's definitely showing some athleticism. You know, I think that D'Angelo Malone, uh, the more I watch him play, I was getting excited about him potentially being a day two pick, um, you know, especially after last season's performance. This year, though, I, I think it would be a stretch to, um, to even put him into that, that conversation right now. Ollie Gay for LSU, all this guy does is get into, into the backfield and make plays behind the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, he, he's very athletic, shoots into the backfield, but number 11, you know, it, it's funny when you see him standing with, with his arms up, he looks like a giant number 11 because of his length and his ability to knock down passes. Um, he's a lot of fun to watch. He's only a junior JUCO transfer, um, but a guy who I think has performed very well. Uh, Jacoby St uh, Stevens uh, had seven tackles and a tackle for loss on the day, but uh, you know I, I thought he struggled at times. You know he actually um, let Bo Nix beat him to the edge on, on the zone read for a five-yard touchdown, 
and uh, you know that that can be unforgivable at times. You know when, when you're getting beat by by some of the quarterbacks. Um, so he's somebody to me that I think um, you know he's 6'2", 230. Is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? I think he may end up having to move to the linebacker position uh, at the next level. Uh, since he, they're not all you know about Desmond Ritter there. Uh, Jared Dokes, he's six six feet, two hundred thirty pounds. He's a running back that could be a day three sleeper. Um, you know, the contact balance very strong between the tackles, keeps those legs driving. Um, you know, that, uh, his ability to then after breaking a tackle, putting his foot in the ground and cutting to where the open grass is. Um, low pad level, you know, between the, the tackles uh, allows him to, to really run through contact. Only had 18 carries for 77 yards in the game, but uh, definitely one of those guys who um, continues to get better as the game goes along. Um, I think James Wiggins, you know, he was injured for all of last season. He's finally starting to hit his stride. Six foot, 205, a guy who can blitz off the edge. Uh, had a nice strip of the quarterback. Um, you know, and made a nice play there. Ultimately got a turnover over the top of the corner on another play, nearly uh, had an interception. Um, this is a guy who I think is, is very smart. He can, uh, does a good job in, in coverage, driving on the football. And uh, I think James Wiggins is a guy, another day three pick, but a, a guy who I think can end up making an NFL roster. Um, I think when you look at the cornerback position there, uh, Kobe Bryant, uh, 6'1", 198. Um, not only is he physical at the point of attack, wants to jam you at the line of scrimmage, but he's quick to close on that throw. Um, I think he can also be drafted in day three. Um, let's see. Um, I think those are the guys that, that I really wanted to touch on and really wanted to break down. Um, but we'll continue to look at guys that may be flying under the radar, maybe not the, the most obvious choices, um, and, and some guys that can end up being day three and, uh, and undrafted free agents. I think that's really where um, you win your draft and where teams win at the end of the day is uh, in those later rounds. So when we look at this weekend, Pac-12, a starting play, um, actually has an early game and you're going to have Arizona State against number 20 USC uh, Coliseum nine o'clock start there on the west coast it's going to be an early one but you get to see the two top quarterbacks in Pac-12 play uh, Keaton Slovis and Jaden Daniels um, you know Keaton Slovis has a, a, a slew of receivers to throw to you know you've got uh, Tyler Vaughn's a steady senior receiver you've got Amon Ross St. Brown who's the slot receiver um, and is so smooth and then obviously there, there's Drake London the basketball player a guy who is um, you know he struggled at the beginning of the season but has really turned into a guy who could be a big playmaker for them uh, they'll be going up against the likes of Chase Chase Lucas and, and Shari Crosswell uh, in the secondary. And then that defense is led by Merlin Robertson, big number eight, and uh, and Darian Butler. Those two junior linebackers are guys that make plays all over the field. Um, I think that'll be fun. And then when Arizona State has the ball, you're going to have Frank Darby going up against Elijah Griffin. Um, J2 Fele is going to be back, as will be uh, you know Elijah Vera Tucker, one of the top guards in the draft. So you'll have a top defensive uh, defensive tackle, one of the top guards coming back for USC. They opted out. They're going to be back. 
I, I know that they're welcoming that welcoming those guys. And uh, I think USC ultimately gets gets the job done. I think Todd Orlando is going to bring a lot of blitzing um, guys, you know, some athleticism coming off the edge. I think Greg Jackson is going to have a huge year. Only a sophomore, he's going to be primed for some big things. And then junior uh, inside linebacker Pala Ie uh, Naote Ote, he's another guy who I think could end up having a huge year if he stays healthy. Same goes for Talanoa Hufanga, the, the safety there for the Trojans. Um, a big hitter, um, just needs to make sure that he takes care of his body. At one point, he ended up having both shoulders injured in that game, uh, in a game. So he, he needs to watch himself, take care of himself a little bit. But uh, USC is definitely going to be a team to watch uh, in the Pac-12. Michigan traveling to Bloomington, Indiana. It's crazy to see Indiana ranked 13th and uh, Michigan 23rd in the country. You know, I'll tell you what. You know, Michael Penix Jr. is gonna and and Scott, uh, Stevie Scott are gonna have their their hands full with the likes of uh, of Carlo Kemp and Aiden Hutchinson and Quiddy Pay up front. And uh, you know, it's gonna be interesting to see. You know, that secondary they love to grab, and I think that's what got them into trouble. Watch uh, Vincent Gray and Daxton Hill and company take on Wap Fillior uh, in the passing game. Uh, when you look at Texas taking on West Virginia, uh, Texas ranked again after beating Oklahoma State, the ranked number 22 in the country. Sam Ellinger, you know, we know the gritty gamer, but you know, his game is just not going to translate to the next level. Could he be the next Taysom Hill? That's entirely possible. Joseph Osai is going to be wreaking havoc against West Virginia uh, and uh, and uh, Jared Dagey there, the quarterback. You want to see if the Stills brothers can really put pressure on Sam Ellinger in that game. I think it's going to be interesting. West Virginia is one of those surprising teams. Neil Brown really has them coming out and playing well. Um, so that's going to be a fun one to watch. Liberty, man, ranked number 25 in the country. The Flames uh, under Hugh Freeze. You know, Malik Will, uh, Willis there, the, the quarterback, the transfer from Auburn. Uh, taking on Virginia Tech. Um, and, and really what you want to see there is Khalil Herbert, the, the running back, he's a lot of fun to watch. He transferred from uh, from Kansas and has been one of the leading rushers in the country. As we continue to scroll through the games, uh, some other games to keep an eye on. Um, you know, Nebraska's taken on Northwestern. Uh, Michigan State goes to Kinnick Stadium against Iowa. Arkansas State, you know, Jonathan Adams, the receiver, uh, going up against Louisiana with Elijah Mitchell. Um, it could be a nice day three steal. Trey Regis, same thing uh, with some of his power uh, running the football downhill. Uh, Marshall, number 16 in the country. Uh, they're undefeated, the Thundering Herd, at home against UMass. Brendan Knox, have to watch him play. A tremendous running back. And then you have Josh Ball, the offensive tackle. He's definitely a guy that's worthy of being drafted. Um, you know, Dan Mullins, guys, the, the Florida Gators. Uh, Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts and company. Uh, number eight Gators traveling uh, between the hedges. Uh, actually, they're not. It looks like the game's actually going to be played at TIA Bank Field in Jacksonville, Florida. Makes sense. Florida, Georgia. Um, you know, number five ranked Bulldogs. You want to see Tyson Campbell and uh, Eric Stokes against the likes of Kadarius Tony, who I think has solidified himself as one of the better receivers in this draft and is going to be a day two pick that uh, people will be talking about um you know kyle pitts who are they going to line up against him is you know is it going to be tyson campbell 
Um, are we going to see a linebacker that lines up over him? What is Monty Rice? Where is he going to be? Um, I think in end of the day with this, um, you know, Florida is going to have some some of that firepower. It's going to come down to who has, uh, you know, can Florida's defense stop Georgia's offense and can Kyle Trask uh, break through against this Georgia defense? That's really going to be interesting. I think it's kind of a toss-up for me right now. Um, as we continue to look through Spencer Rattler going to or staying at home, taking on Kansas. Um, that should be a, a nice polished game there for Spencer Rattler. Penn State licking their wounds after the loss to Ohio State. They're 0-2, taking on the upstart Maryland Terrapins, 1-1 one one on the year. If you didn't get to see that game against Minnesota, it was a crazy one. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa's brother, uh, Talia, uh, leading the Terrapins to victory. You know, in overtime, Maryland gets their touchdown. Minnesota answers, but then they miss the extra point and end up losing that contest. The Gophers looking to try to get their first win. They're traveling to Champaign, taking on the, the Fighting Illini. You, know, you really want to see you know, Tanner Morgan. Uh, can he rebound? Um, and then Muhammad Ibrahim, that running back, can he really get things going? Um, I, I think he's one of those breakout sleeper running backs, a guy that could potentially enter the draft this year, but you know there, there's there's not a ton of depth, um, you know, at, at the position. He could end up sneaking his way into a into a top ten, and if he is a top ten running back, you know, I could see him potentially coming out. Let's see Utah taking on Arizona. That'll be the first matchup there for both the Utes and Arizona. Um, Kansas State they lost to West Virginia. They're no longer ranked. Oklahoma State. You know, they're, they're heading into Manhattan now um, with a, as a one-loss team, ranked number 14th in the country. You want to see what uh, what Spencer Sanders can do with Tylen Wallace, Chuba Hubbard. I expect Mike Gundy's crew to rebound. That's a really solid defense. Pittsburgh, uh, you know, you're going to have Patrick Jones uh, and Rashad Weaver and company heading to Tallahassee to take on Florida State. Jordan Travis is going to be in for a long day against that defense, in my opinion, even without Paris Ford, who has decided to opt out for the remainder of the season. Um, let's see. South Carolina taking on Texas A&M. That ought to be a fun one. Uh, the Aggies are ranked number seven in the country. Um, with South, uh, South Carolina, offensively, you want to see Shai Smith, what he can do um, there with the ball in his hands. They have a nice running back, Kevin Harris, only a sophomore. And then obviously J.C. Horn in the corner and uh, the linebacker uh, Ernest Jones. Uh, Texas A&M, what, what type of quarterback are, are we going to see out of Kellen Mond? Is he going to be consistent? Um, Will Kingsley uh, and Igbari, you know, put pressure on him coming off the edge there for the Gamecocks. Um, that's going to be interesting. You know, Will Mond be able to hit uh, Jalen Weidermeyer? That's something that you're going to watch out for as well. Uh, Notre Dame, Clemson. That's going to be the big game because Notre Dame ranked number four in the country at home against Clemson without Trevor Lawrence. DJ Uyunglele, um going to be the, the quarterback there again. Um, you know you know that they're going to rely on Travis Etienne in the passing game. You know that defense needs to get shored up. Um, you know with with North Carolina, uh, with North Notre Dame, they, they struggle throwing the football. I think they've got you know some of their best receivers right now are there at their tight end position. They've got the freshman Michael Mayer who looks to be a stud and a star, um, but you also have Tommy Tremble um, you know as a tight end as well. Those are guys that are going to be making plays. It's really going to be Kylan William, Kyron Williams turning him loose. And you got you know behind that offensive line. Not only is Liam Eikenberg 
uh, a stud up front. Um, I, I think Jared Patterson, if he decided to come out, he could be a you know the top three center in the draft. Aaron Banks is a nice solid uh, guard who I think could be coming off the board in round four, uh, going up against that Cle- that young T- Clemson defense. And then Uliangalele, um, you know, can Notre Dame put pressure on him? Dalen Hayes and company up front. Um, Adetokounmpo, um, Ogundeje, you know, he's a guy that uh, can get after the quarterback and pressure coming off the edge as well. And then my guy, Jeremiah Owusu-Kormo. And people aren't talking about him as a top 25 pick. I think you need to start talking about him, you know, as a guy. I think the real thing, that reason why people are hesitant is what position is he really going to be playing? That's the question that you have with, with Isaiah Simmons. I think it's legitimate. But this is a guy, he's a football player, and he makes plays wherever you line him up on the field. He's a guy that they're going to have to watch out for. Um, I, I think this is this is a game that Clemson needs to watch out. I, I really do. Um, Ohio State, you know, they're taking on Rutgers. I know Rutgers, you know, they're, they, they beat – uh, Michigan State to start out the year lost to Indiana. Are they for real? Um, you know, you'll get to see Tyshawn Fogg and uh, uh, Ola Kunle Fotukasi, the two linebackers there for uh, for the Scarlet Knights. But I think uh, at the end of the day, you're going to see Justin Fields have another field day. Big win for the Buckeyes in the horseshoe. Uh, the Ducks taking on Stanford, number 12 ranked uh, Oregon Ducks. No longer do they have uh, Justin Herbert. I expect them to run the ball a lot. C.J. Verdell is absolutely uh, a pro prospect. Um, defensively, only a sophomore, but Kayvon Thibodeau is an absolute beast. We'll get to see him take on Stanford's uh, O-line. Uh, Walker Little has opted out. I'm not sure if he's opted back in or not. I'll have to see when, we, when uh, Stanford plays. But... Uh, Davis Mills, you know, he, he's going to be an intriguing quarterback prospect. Um, you know, he took over for the injured KJ Costello and never surrendered that starting job. Is he somebody who could potentially come out this year? Is he going to come out next year? Um, you know, we really have to see how he performs. Um, Coastal Carolina, man, the shot clears, undefeated, ranked number 15 in the country. Uh, you know, they'll be taking on South Alabama. Uh, I think that's another win there for the Shants for sure. Um, and then uh, Washington State, Oregon State, and uh, New Mexico and Hawaii are your nightcaps there in college football. We've got quite a few games that um, have either been postponed or canceled due to COVID-19. Uh, Purdue, Wisconsin, uh, not the only one, but the only matchup of uh, you know a ranked opponent. Um, Air Force, Army. Uh, Tulsa Navy, so all of the uh, academies have games that are postponed. Um, FIU and UTEP got canceled. Um, North Texas, Louisiana Tech, looks like they've postponed their matchup. Uh, Louisville and Virginia also postponed, but the Huskies and Cal. That was a game I was really looking forward to. I wanted to watch some of the defenders there for Cal. Cameron Bynum, um, Kwoni Dang, um, at the linebacker, at the cor- corner and linebacker positions, that would have been uh, an interesting, uh, interesting to watch. Washington has uh, Elijah Molden. They also have Levi Awazarike uh, up front on the defensive tackle position. It really would have been a fun game to watch. Uh, unfortunately, it has been canceled. Pac-12. They really have no leeway. You know, if COVID interferes and you ultimately have to. Uh, 
you know, you can't postpone it, it's going to end up being canceled because they really have a rigid schedule starting as late as they have. So those are the matchups for week 10 of the college football season. And, uh, you know, those are the matchups that I want to try to try to watch as many of those games and bring those to you. It's uh, really crazy. I've, I've gotten through almost, I think, just about a, a game for just about every FBS program that has played a game to this point outside of the Mac. Um, so I, I'm really looking forward to uh, getting to watch the Mac play and obviously the Pac-12 as well. Uh, there are a few teams here and there that I haven't gotten to see yet that uh, I'm looking forward to, to getting my hands on some of their game tape as well because the goal is to watch at least one FBS, uh, one FBS game for all FBS, all 130 teams before the season is over. Um, now obviously with Connecticut, with, with New Mexico State, they've opted out for the season, so we won't be able to watch them play, but uh, the remaining teams, I guess it's 128 now, uh, those are gonna be the games that I'm gonna try to get my hands on and, and really watch and really study and see who we have out there that uh, could potentially sneak up on us. Um, you know, who's gonna be this year's Dustin Crum out of Kent State? Um, you know, he's a guy that I think is absolutely uh, a guy who can get drafted there on day number three. Um, you know, Jarrett Patterson is the is the running back in the MAC that everyone's talking about at Buffalo. But you know, there's a guy that you really have to start keeping an eye out for, and that's Caleb Huntley out of Ball State. Um, you know, he's 5'10", 229, runs with power, runs with speed, 130 yards, and a couple of touchdowns. Uh, you know, when Ball State took on Miami of Ohio. Uh, here on Wednesday and, and you know Tommy Doyle he had opted out he's back and he's a guy that uh, could be that sleeper offensive tackle uh, very athletic guy we'll be breaking him down a little bit more um, on next week's podcast um, you know and as of this taping uh, the Friday night matchup uh, BYU and Boise State hasn't happened yet so, uh, you know, looking at this, the number nine ranked BYU Cougars really get to see if Zach Wilson is for real going up against a, a really tough Boise State defense. They're tough up front. Um, you know, they, they, they're led by the linebacker Riley Wimpy, um, you know, a guy who can be a three down backer there for the Broncos. The secondary is solid. They've got Avery Williams at one cornerback. Uh, they've got uh, Kikala Kaniho uh, back at safety. So Boise State's a team that is going to give BYU some trouble. Um, you know, you want to see Kiaris Tonga, the big defensive tackle. He's a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, Peyton uh, Wilgar um, is a linebacker that you're going to need to know know about um, in the coming years because he's a, another playmaker for them. Uh, I think BYU gets it done. I think they end up beating Boise State, even though it is played out on the on the blue turf. Um, it's going to be a fun game to watch. And um, you know, I think Zach Wilson, you know, he'll throw for 300-plus for yards yet again, um, have a nice completion percentage of probably over 65%, and uh, BYU ends up winning. Kalani Sataki has to be happy with, with his program. So week 10, I think that's a wrap on, on our, our, our podcast for this week. And uh, tune in next week. 
where we do break down week 10. We'll take a look at all the matchups you know, and see if there are some guys that are starting to break out. You know, who's going to be this, this week's Davion Nixon, a guy that I hadn't really gotten to see play before, uh, watched him play against Northwestern, and immediately saw the explosiveness up the field and his ability to get skinny through the holes and, uh, and shoot into the backfield and make plays on the football. He's somebody who's been dynamic. And who's going to be the Joseph Osai, the real you know MVP uh, on the defensive side of the football, a guy who was wreaking havoc against Oklahoma State from the, from the opening whistle until the last play of the game where he essentially clinched the win with the sack. Who's going to be that guy in Week 10? You're just going to have to watch. So enjoy your weekend of college football. I know that I will. And then come back and we'll do this all over again and we'll talk some more football. So for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Take care, everyone. Enjoy your weekends. Until next time, I am out of here.